do discounts in terms of the interest rate better than, than most countries can. Uh, and so if something happened right away, uh, we would go tap into our cash reserves and then we'll go into borrowing. But if we found though that um, that revenues are flat, and I believe that this year revenues will be flat, that's the reason why we're not budgeting huge uh, increase over the previous year. Um, but we can then make adjustments. You can look at new revenue streams uh, that we can we can bring in, uh, online. But right now, we're not bringing on any meaning that no new taxes. We're not bringing on any new revenue streams because we think we're doing well. And the good thing about it is that we know we can project into the future because we know what's in the the investor pipeline in terms of our developments. And we know once those developments come, on, a lot of sales take place. And so even though we know that we're flat, we know that in future years, things are going to look good. Because for me... I'm not concerned about the big number. I'm concerned about recurring revenues because I don't want to hit 500 million this year and then have revenues collapse to 300 million. Because when you increase costs and you have your revenues collapse, you're going to have huge deficits. So I try to look at the recurrent revenue to make sure that we can sustain this. So last year we achieved around about 413 million. This year we're budgeting 417, but we think we'll, but we are certain we'll come in over 400 million. And just before you go, we know you want to go get settled before you um, give your address. Uh, how proud are you of this budget this year? I'm, I, well, I'm proud for a number of reasons. I'm proud because it's one of our, it's certainly our government that did it. Um, I'm also proud that it happened with me as Minister of Finance. So I could claim you some, some credit for it. But the, um, it's by the grace of God. Uh, when I was campaigning, I said that we needed to get the country from sorry, uh, 300 million to about 400 million within our first term, which would be ending in uh, 2025. And that if given a second term, we, we, we need to get to 500 million. That would be ending in 2029. Uh, we hit the 400 million mark very early into our, uh, into our first term. Uh, we hit it last year, but we were very close. We ended last year, March, that would be financial year, 21, 22 at 398 million. So by the blessings of God, we, we grew by 96 million in one year. And so um, that meant we could give more to our people. So the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of is that with that 100 million, we were able to do things that, that no other government was able to do, particularly the pension plan, which I will speak to briefly during, uh, during my presentation. Well, I just want to, before you, I know Cheryl mentioned before you end, but I just have this, I want to ask you, um, if you if you read the lead of the opposition comments, we mentioned that this budget um, say all besides two in social services, all government programs have been cut and are greatly um, underfunded. Um, say this is a historic budget of constraints, local international training cut, internal training cut, youth activities cut, no increases in international scholarship, no expansion of preventative health. No expansion to national security and border, small and medium contracts cut, preventative maintenance and clearing cut, no increases in grants to entrepreneurs and startup business, just to name a few. These are the comments in an article that the leader of the opposition um, has stated publicly. Uh, what do you say to those um, comments? Well, I'd say that you'd want to listen to my speech uh, <laughs> because the, uh, the benefit of putting that in the article is that I can see with the with the leader of the opposition said, and I could adjust it. Now I'll say this. I wrote every single word of my, my presentation, every single word. Um, you know, usually you would have your, your team preparing portions of your speeches and saying, I prepared every single word of it, which meant that I went through all the details. 
I went through every single line item. I did the analysis myself, and uh, I know where the trends are. I know where some line items decrease, but others are made up for it. I will say that based on with the, uh, the lead of the opposition said, which you just read, I'll leave it as that, that the lead of the opposition is prone to exaggeration. Uh, obviously, it's his job. His job is to, to keep our feet to the fire and make anything that we do that we, we feel that's grand, make it look like it isn't anything much. So he's obviously doing his job. But I'll say that the uh, figures don't lie and the figures will speak for themselves and then you'll see that the, uh, the lead of the opposition obviously did not do his analysis and he didn't do his research. He, he was in the appropriations committee and heard some things, but in terms of the overall budget, this budget is up year on year. Most line items are getting an increase. And like I said, you will hear it during my speech and I'm certain you'll be confident that uh, you'll see when we are done that this is a historic budget and we hope that we can build on this like how we built on last year. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Honorable Deputy Premier. We're looking forward to your address. Thank you. <laughs> so we're having a preamble here before the House of Assembly actually starts at 10 o'clock where the Deputy Premier is going to give the um, address, um, the budget address, the featured address for this year's budget. Joining us now is the Minister of Physical Planning and um, Infrastructure, the Honorable Jamel Robinson. Uh, Honorable Robinson, good morning. Welcome to Budget 2023. Good morning, Ms. Foreman, Mr. Jolly, and Mr. Seymour. And good morning, Turks and Caicos. It's good to be here. You see, we got two Grand a, Turk people against two South Caicos people. I ain't getting them that. Because <laughs> I all island. Because we're North Caicos people, the Provo people be telling me, oh, you South Caicos. I ain't getting that. Listen to Cheryl. I ain't getting that. One Turks and Caicos. Honorable Robinson, what are you looking forward to most in this budget address? I think um, I'm looking forward to kind of kind of diving deep into the processes of how the budget uh, uh, works, particularly outlining our strategies within the Ministry of Physical Planning and Infrastructure Development, eh? because budgets are a lot of numbers, clearly, but they have to follow a vision. So this is outlining our vision for this next fiscal year. So from my ministry standpoint, I want to kind of dig down a little deep to link up what the numbers are and what we're putting financing to with the strategy. And again, we are midterm in our administration. So we have a four-year overall vision, but this is step three, basically the third quarter of this, so to, so to speak, term or game. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to most in given that this is my third address and my literally third role in the third address. So that'll be interesting to see how I, I shape up compared to the last two times that I came up to bat, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Honorable, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Um, of course, a lot of people, you know, it's great to have this budget, but a lot of people want to see physical things taking place. Um, share with us what physical things took place over the past financial year and what major elements are we to expect in this 2023-2024 budget, like the roads and, and whatever. Just tell us what, what it is. Okay, from a physical standpoint, what took place over the last budget, some of our key projects was like Little Harkness and Harkless Canal in um, South Caicos. Right now, we right across the street from us, we have the Grand Turk Sports Complex that is in the process of building. So a lot of things are in the, in the queue, as well as in North Caicos, you have the Raymond Gardner um, arts and technical block that's 
pretty much close to completion. We had a number of road projects we would have done in North Caicos as well to the tune of over $2.3 million, as well as our community projects, which would see uh, the four new gazebos uh, that we are pushing really, really hard to get done for. We got it. If not, you know, we'll be in a position that it can be occupied during that particular time in the next two weeks. So a number of those things, sidewalks, etc., from the community enhancement program. So those are some of the physical things that we see kind of in the process now. So we are hopefully within the next six months or so, we'll be able to cut ribbon on those um, projects opening. Now, in terms of what is to come, we've been working really hard in the Ministry of Infrastructure to get to the point where we send out just the ITT to get roads done because we know we have a major road company in, in country, but those who are interested in roads and being a part of building the Turks and Caicos through the road envelope, we're looking to put at least $10 million worth of roads in the ground over this next fiscal year. So we have... Throughout the country, oh. throughout the country, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't one island that we're focusing on. Um, you didn't hear the honorable member say he's an all, all island candidate? So everybody got to get a taste because like I would have said at my very first town hall meeting as Minister of Infrastructure, I intend and we intend to pave every road in the Turks and Caicos Islands, the government roads that is, because we're not responsible for private roads. Let me make that clear, <laughs> number one, but we can't do it all at once. So what we're trying to get to a point and what I will speak to in this budget as well is us doing a consultancy to be able to do a global scoping of all our road networks throughout the Turks and Caicos Islands. Not only scope them, have them in a place where you can adjust for inflation, um, do the scoping, and we identify the various government roads throughout the country so we'll have a conveyor belt of just road projects. So every year we could say, okay, well, we want to do $10 million of roads, $15 million of roads, $20 million of roads, $30 million of roads, because the fact is, we need it. And then, of course, you have on the other side, you need the maintenance. So we're going to be looking at the Leeward Highway, Millennium Highway. We're going to be looking again at the Causeway because um, in North and Middle Cakes, which, because we know, unfortunately, the way it was built initially, every time there's a major hurricane, there's significant damage. So we have to look at it seriously and say, OK, well, what do we need to change and have a permanent fix? Because Unfortunately, because of, I guess, fund constraints or whatever reasoning in the past, we've just only been doing temporary fixes. Yeah. So every time another storm. So fact, like when I used to be in disaster management back in 2008, Hurricane, sorry, not even Hurricane, Tropical Storm Hannah actually was the one that kind of totaled the, the causeway. And that's when it's almost brand new. So every storm since then has essentially damaged that, yeah, that causeway. So we have yeah. to get to a point where we actually have a permanent fix or we have to reinvent or, or reimagine how we want to connect those two islands and, of course, across the Turks and Caicos. Honorable yeah. Robinson, you, you mentioned roads, and I'm thinking that along with roads comes lighting. Mm -hmm. is, is there a figure allocated for, for street lighting? Well, that's a part of the delay from the initial because when we did the roads in uh, North Caicos, North and Middle Caicos, right, we just did the roads. So there's a number of roads that are went in my uh, hometown of Q, North Caicos. <laughs> I wasn't a minister yet, so it wasn't because of me. That was a radiant queue, but we didn't have the lighting involved. But because we added lighting to this next set of roads, that includes a different set of evaluation criteria, a different set of elements to go with the roads and the, I guess the embutments on the side to ensure that the roads don't deteriorate over time. Because unfortunately, 
what we've done in the past, we would put the, the road down just to put some tar over mm -hmm. a road without putting the capping on the edges. So it's the edges and the capping on the edges that actually secures the roads for a longer time. Because if you think about the roads, just think about Grace Bay Road from, well, it's a long road. Let's say from the Palms straight down to Leeward Gates. All that has sidewalks and capping. While that is in the best road, it lasts far longer than a lot of our traditional roads through our community. So we want to get this done right the first time. So even if it um, costs a little bit more money, even if it takes a little bit more time, we want to make sure that we have a more permanent solution for a longer time. So we don't have to spend money several times on the same thing. So, Honorable, the Minister of Finance talked about record-setting historical numbers in terms of revenue, yes. which is now going to be turned around to a historical number of expenditure, more right. importantly, CapEx. You being the Minister of Infrastructure, mm -hmm. you talk about $10 million in roads mm -hmm. and CapEx mostly would fall under your ministries in terms right. of infrastructure, physical planning, road construction. Right. Can we expect this being the theme moving forward with your government in terms of taking new money and turn it into actual capital projects that Turks and Caicos Islanders can benefit from? Well, Chivago, at this point in our administration, we have no choice but to deliver. Yeah. Because as goes the Ministry of Infrastructure, so goes governments and so goes elections. Mm -hmm. So not only because I'm an MP first before I'm a Minister of Infrastructure, that we have to deliver, but we've already done initial, initial team sessions between my ministry um, as PPD, which is um, statistical planning and policy unit, as well as procurement office, to be able to make sure we're in sync because you have our ministry, which is infrastructure. So we have all of our project managers and persons who um, contribute. You have procurement office, which is under the deputy governor's office, and you have SPPD, which is under the premier's office. Mm -hmm. So that's three different entities and three different leaders trying to coordinate. So we have to come together because if each of the various entities believes that we're at a different point in the process, then we're always going to be in a, in a bad position. But we have to ensure that we close the loop to make sure we're always on the same page because at the end of the day, we're not in competition with each other. Right? We are one government, one team that has to deliver for the people of the Turks and Caicos Islands. I mean, speaking about lights, I want to piggyback from, from um, Cheryl. Are there plans to do any traffic lights um, on the island of Provo? Yes, from what I understand, um, the Ministry of Home Affairs through the DMV, the Ministry of Home Affairs through the DMV has done the initial. Um, costings to be able to put, particularly in Providential, to be able to put um, street lights in. I think the last element that they have to do is to bring a cabinet paper to make an amendment to the existing law because the existing law doesn't allow for traffic lights in the way it's written. And unfortunately, some of our laws are very prescriptive. So if you don't specify it specifically, you can't just do it because for all intents and purposes, I would love for us to just put up the lights like now. Mm -hmm. But if you need the legislative backing behind it. So I'm sure that's one of the things that Honorable Morris and his team at Home Affairs will definitely be looking at getting done. Because given the traffic congestion in Providenciales, we have to be able to ensure that persons can move freely and smoothly for, through our roadways. Honorable Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to your contribution to this debate in 2023. Um, we wish you well today, sir. Thanks for having me.
So we just spoke to the Honorable Jamal Robinson, Minister of Physical Planning and um, Infrastructure Development, and he was telling us about what his ministry has in store for us. Of course, now we're going to talk to the sheriff. We got a new sheriff in town, and he's none other than the Honorable Arlington Chuck Musgrove. Honorable Musgrove, good morning. Thank you so much for morning. joining us. Good morning. Welcome to this pre-show. Thank you. Ah, now you're in the hot seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we know that you spent quite a bit on repatriation <laughs> of right illegal migrants <laughs> last year. Um, are you spending less this year? Uh, how can we get rid of this cost completely? Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning, Turks and Caicos. I was hoping we were going to ask me some of Midland North Caicos. <laughs> we're but, coming, we're coming. But uh, I don't see it likely happening. Uh, all of us here know the condition in Haiti is not getting better. Uh, so we sad to say we may have to go into supplementary sometime in August and put some more money into the budget for repatriation of the, the my Haitian brothers and sisters. But make no mistake about it. We're going to repatriate them. We not, and I know uh, it's been buzzing around the, the country that what the UN said in their their statement. I go on record again and saying that the UN is ill-advised, mm -hmm. and we're going to continue to repatriate uh, illegal people, not only Haitians, that are in our yeah. country. So, Honorable, what efforts have the government done, or what are they doing to ensure that um, we are not, we don't have to spend this money repatriation. Well, what are you doing to ensure that we could intercept or prevent these boats from coming here? I mean, what are you doing? You, 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 we intercept. Once you intercept, the people are, are, are yours. That's your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. are you speaking with the Haitian government? Are you speaking with the Haitian consulate to encourage on, the people not to come to Turks and On the sidelines of uh, CARICOM, we spoke with the, the, the prime minister then of uh, Haiti. But the dialogue between uh, Haiti and the, and the UK, Haiti and the UK, and by extension, Turks and Caicos Islands, is almost nothing now. Because, I mean, there's no direct line. Uh, there's no, no basic no communication with the Haitian government. So we are putting uh, my office uh, with, with uh, P.S. Bain, we're trying to get some PSAs that we could put out on Haitian radio stations here and in, in Haiti that they could, could en encourage or disencourage the people uh, not to come here because if they come here, they're going to go back home. Okay, wait, are you, is the government, what about a, a quota system on the number of Haitians we give work permits to? Is that something the government could consider as well? We, we are looking at something to, for, for work permit. I don't want to say it here at this moment. Because uh, any, anything, not premature, but I don't want to trigger mm -hmm. uh, influx of uh, Haitians that are sure. Mm -hmm. But we are looking at some uh, stuff we can do to prevent the, the Haitians from coming. Honorable Musgrove, now switching over to your MP hat. Um, the Minister of Finance, again, he said historic revenue numbers, historic expenditure numbers, historic CapEx numbers. You being the representative for Middle and North Caicos, we always talk about the outer islands not always getting the attention when we're spending this kind of money, especially with capital expenditure. We're on the verge of hurricane season. 
We know sometimes there's always a struggle to mobilize equipment and have the correct infrastructure set up. Can you talk a little bit about how this budget is going to improve the lives of people in North Caicos and North Caicos, especially now going into hurricane season? Well, uh, Mr. Jolly, as you know, I was the former minister. Well, DDM was under my, my, my umbrella. Uh, since then, it's gone under the governor's office. But if, uh, you'll take note that even the last hurricane when it was, it was under my ministry, we were the most prepared mm-hmm. and the first one prepared in this country. Uh, we still maintain that. I, I still have a hands-on approach to DDME in, in my islands, the Twin Islands. And uh, we have a guy there named Jamil. Uh, we, we work hand-in-hand hand together uh, and we will be prepared again. Uh, the aftermath of it is another story. We, we were there and uh, again, budgetary circumstances that we couldn't get enough money out to the people who had damages. Mm. Uh, but if, to answer your first question about the capital project, mm. uh, I have talked to my people in the middle of North Caicos over the weekend, and I don't want to preempt this. Mm-hmm. I asked them to please listen in mm-hmm. tomorrow, and they would hear what is there for uh, the Twin Islands, and they will be surprised. Honorable Musgrove, you know, I think you got all the problem children. We were at the Providenciales Airport yesterday. That was a Monday afternoon, and you should have seen it. And we know that this too is a sore point. What, can, When and what can we expect to see at Provo Airport? Well, the, in, in the budget now, we have uh, about close to $6 million for the congestion alleviation plan. Uh, we're working exodusly on... on uh, getting that out. Uh, we have a new structure going up in the front, so all the airlines offices upstairs, they'll be going into that office. We're going to have more uh, space up there. We're doing $1.8 million in, in electrical and, and wiring, uh, uh, air condition, uh, plumbing. So within the next six months, you're going to see a big difference in, in, in Providential East, uh, International Airport. No, I gotta ask you about the Jags McCartney. I mean, I can't be a grantor girl and not ask you about that airport. Well, as you can see, uh, that is—I don't know—you flew in, flew in this morning, but Monday, yes, uh, we flew in this morning, and the guys are there working. Olympic Construction is doing the the work, and I think they have about a few more, two, three more months. Uh, and as you know, as a number of the airline is interested in flying directly into Grand Turk, so we have to have that uh, finished by then. Okay. And if if we want to really accommodate. Uh, or to attract airlines to come yes. into Grenada. And of course, you also neglect to mention this works, you know, about a new airport for Provo. Yes, and I was going to mention that before she started talking about Jags, and of course, you know, Jags McCartney International <laughs> Airport is close to our heart, yeah. and it's close to mine as well. It's the nation's capital. But uh, we, the Premier is in the UK, and I signed a new business case uh, for the Providential is a P3. Uh, business case for the Providentialist International Airport. The Premier uh, handed that over to his UK counterpart, the Minister for Overseas Territory, and uh, we are waiting a favorable answer. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, then, of course, you know, we have a consultant, ALG, mm-hmm. from Spain. They are uh, working with us, and then we'll, I think, I'll go through a process of yeah. selecting some of the, the guys yeah. with the good criteria. Yeah. And then after that, we'll... Yeah. We'll pick the, the, yeah. the, the developer. Okay, I want to ask you this question, and, and please do not take this um, personally. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people are concerned 
not only about the repatriation, but the concern because you own the detention center, my understanding, mm -hmm. and they feel that like you're benefiting um, from this as well. What do you say to those persons um, who are linking you um, with the repatriation and owning the detention center? What, what do you say to those concerns to people about that? Well, let me start from, the, from, from day one. I got the, the contract for the detention center under the interim administration. So that's back 2009. 2009. Uh, they were paying me a certain fee. Since uh, governments got in, and even this government has reduced those fees. That's number one. Number two, I only rent. I used to do food and stuff when I got in government. I give up the food and it's gone to someone else. I only there were flat fee, just the facility. Just the facility. So it's not not costing me whether people stay there or not. It's just a flat fee, and I I'm the one who went ahead about a few weeks a few months ago and got a new location for the Turks and Caicos Island government to put a remand center and a detention center, because to tell you the truth and to put it bluntly, TCIG doesn't pay us nothing compared to the private sector. <laughs> the private sector. Well, a few companies are pushing me now for that place. And I've asked TCIG on a number of occasions, please find a place for your detention center. Mm -hmm. So it's really not... You're making no money on that. No. <laughs> I just want to bring that up. Actually, we no. heard that, that, that he had said to TCIG that he wanted to... I want yeah. him to move. I mean, yeah. building back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I just want to bring that out. Because no problem. Because it's sir. a concern from the public, you know. So along the lines of repatriation, this is a huge cause. The conversation has always been that there must be um, Turks and Caicos Islanders involved in this process for it to be so successful. And it's obviously a huge money maker. You being the Minister of Border Control, knowing how much this costs us annually and just how much of an interference it is in the business of our country, I mean, what do you say to those Turks and Caicos Islanders who are just uh, sacrificing their birthright to make a couple of dollars? I, I don't want to say much about it because it's an investigation going on. But okay. you do have Turks and Caicos Islanders involved in in, uh, in this illegal activity. But, but, and I'm underlining this word, but, if you can do that to your country, you deserve to go to jail. And I, 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 I said this from when I first took over this ministry, and I, I, I went to my mom and my brothers and sisters, and I said, listen here. If you're employing anybody illegal, get, over, get rid of them now. I give them two weeks because when I come, I'm going to lock you up if you, I find you with anybody and nobody calls. Right? <laughs> and that's as simple as that. So if you could do this to your country, you deserve to be locked up and locked up for good. Absolutely. I remember you saying that on first edition and Chivago said he would go and bail out his aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Honorable <laughs> Boss Thank, Thank you. We're looking forward to your contribution. Thank you very much. So we just talked to the Honorable um, Arlington Chuck Musgrove, the Member of Parliament representing the Twin Islands of North and Middle Caicos, and we heard some of his highlights. Um, listeners, viewers, we now have the pleasure of speaking to the leader of the opposition, the Honorable Edwin Astrid. Honorable Astrid is about to come on set and join us. Looking quite debonair as always. Fine, thank you, sir. Welcome. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning. 
And good morning to Turks and Caicos. Uh, which camera to look in? Uh, good you morning, Turks and Caicos Islands. Yeah, yeah, how are you? <laughs> That's your camera, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Honorable Austin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, we noticed in a statement you made, I think it was last week, you described this budget as having no vision, no purpose, um, uh, nothing for our people. It was really much to do about nothing. Why yeah. that description? Yes, ma'am. Uh, and looking at the numbers, sitting in the Appropriations Committee, as you know, I'm a part of the Appropriations Committee. We go through every number, every department, every unit. You see what actually is there. And you get to ask the questions. You know, how much is this? Why is this cut? What about this? What are you doing about that? So you sit on hours and hours all day until 10, 10 o'clock in the night. So you know what is inside the budget. And you say, well, what, what is really there for our people? I see cuts. I see nothing really increasing. Uh, we know what is going on, the course of living crisis, the war in Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians blowing up things in Russia. So you know things is going to escalate. So what is going on? How are we protecting our people? Uh, where are the new uh, court centers? Where are we going to get money from if uh, tourism stop? Uh, you hear about uh, the economy is doing good, people are buying homes. What about interest rates keep on going up? What, what, how do you know what is going to happen in the next couple of months? So where are the protections? Yeah. You know, so when I look at the budget, I'm like, this, this is failing our people right now. This is nothing here for our people. Well, yeah. we just spoke to the deputy premier and the minister mm -hmm. of finance and we asked him you know what if these uh, projected revenues aren't met because they said some departments overperformed like yes. customs import duties and accommodation tax and he told us that there's a a nice cash reserve and they would pull in from that yes ma'am we we know that our country have been saving money i think it's some 200 million dollars now 100 million of that have to be for salary civil servant salary for three months and then uh, you know you have other obligations. You have some on uh, some fixed deposit, twenty million on fixed deposit or so. So really and truly, you have about a uh, hundred million or so. You know, ninety million dollars that you can use. So you cannot depend on that. And the blink of an eye, that can be gone. So where are the other revenues coming from? You know. So when I look at the budget, I do not see that. And you know, I don't want people to listen to me. Uh, you can listen to the figures. You can have the budget book like. You can hear the responses and make up your own mind. And you'll see, well, wait, wait a second. Maybe this isn't, uh, you know, all glamour and, mm -hmm. and happy-go-lucky and everything. You're going to see for yourself. Yes. All right, Honorable. I know you are in the opposition. Yes. Um, but if you were in government, what would you do differently? Because we know how budgets work. You know, the budgets go through different departments. Um, they, they, they set their budgets, then they come together, and then they put an overall budget together. But what would you, you do differently? And number two, um, in your press statement, you mentioned that except for two areas of social services, everything has cut. But the deputy premier said that's not the case. He said if you look at the budget, you'll see that everything has increased year on year. Um, um, so what do you say about, um, about that? That's, yes. that's two questions. Yes, thank you very much. And <laughs> I'll answer the second one first. I sorry I didn't bring my budget book, so mm -hmm. I can just hold up the numbers and you can see the numbers is less. So even though it might be an opinion, and I'll be talking about, about that in my speech, you know, some things are subjective opinions and some things are objective opinions. Objective opinions is things that you can prove. I can take their budget book and bring it out to this table and show you uh, $100 for 
fifty dollars or ten ten thousand. Now it's eight thousand. You know, for training it was twenty five thousand. Now it's fifteen thousand. For travel it was thirty thousand. Now it's fourteen thousand. Yeah, I can show you the actual numbers. So this is an, a subjective opinion that I'm given. It's very objective, and I have the budget book, their budget book, to prove these figures. Uh, to the first question, uh, as the leader of the country, you should have gone to every ministry and say, look here, we need to find out new revenue streams. You know, we need to look at new revenue streams. We have the answers. We don't need no consultants to come in. Put your heads together. Let's find out new revenue streams. Let's think about how we're going to deal with the cost of living, what we can give our people. You know, the revenue a, streams, um, the budget is, is projecting $470 million in revenue. Yes, but that's, that is on existing revenue streams. That is very fragile. You know, you're talking about STEM duty. Mm. When Americans stop buying homes, when Canadians stop buying homes, mm. what is going to happen? You know, when we cannot import, when this construction slow down, people hold up on projects, what is going to happen? When people stop traveling because of whatever crisis going in the world or whatever, what is going to happen to us? You know, we have, we need a 90 day, that, so that $100 million just to pay civil service. In three months, that money will be gone. And then you have, would have probably the next $100 million left. In the next three months, so what other revenue streams you would, you, would, you would do? No, well, there are some things that we can look at, right? But you would want to give the departments the chance to come up with it, the ministries, you know? I have my views, but I want to, you have to be inclusive. Look here, try and come up with a revenue streams. Present something to us. You know, I have some, and I'm going to release that, you know, soon, very soon. So, okay. yes. so my question, um, I think the, we had the deputy premier here. Yes. Same thing I've been saying all day. He talks about record number revenue, record number expenditure and capex. I think you as the leader of opposition, I think you were used the words much to do about nothing. Yes. I think you made an excellent point when you talk about the volatility of some of this revenue, the stamp duty, um, uh, customs duties. But my question now is, this has always been the case. Uh, our revenue has always been monolistic in terms of duties on this, duties on that. We've been run away from generalized taxation. Mm -hmm. So you're the leader of the opposition, but you've been a part of government for yes. for so many terms now, yes. even having been minister under the previous administration. Yes. Why haven't we seen an aggressive approach in terms of budget to seeking other revenue streams before and you're the leader of opposition, so if your party was to win moving forward, you'd be the premier. And why would a, a voter, just an average show on the road, assume that under your administration it would be different? Yes. Uh, as we know, experience is the best teacher. You know? And if you're being through an office and if you don't learn something from it, you know, something is wrong with you. you know? If I play a team and I don't learn the moves of their star players or how they like to play, where they like to get the ball. Mm -hmm. The next time I play, you know, get in that game, I'm supposed to know something. Mm -hmm. And I've been there. I have seen what worked, what didn't work. How you do things. How things are hindered in government. Mm -hmm. You know, but we need, like I said, we cannot depend on the, the existing revenue streams. And what I learned from the pandemic, you know, during the pandemic, what I learned, how the world can shut down, how all these things can go away. So I had my first lesson during Alma and Maria. The whole country destroyed, nothing coming in, ports destroyed, mm -hmm. and you see the trouble it had. And right after that, we had the pandemic, mm -hmm. nothing moving. Mm -hmm. So you know, <laughs> no tourists coming in, just a few coming in, uh, high-end tourists, so we know. 
and I learned my lessons. Trust me, I learned my lessons from that. And we don't want our country to go through that again. So, so how do you convince people that you're not talking just because you are an opposition? Because you mentioned new revenues, and we went through the pandemic, 2020, you were still in government. What did your government at that time do to introduce new revenues? Oh, oh, I can tell you. At that time, <laughs> at that time, the whole was, world was closed down. Places like Cayman just buried their head in the sand. We're not going to let anyone come in. Cayman still did well because they no, had no, the offshore industry. No, because they were offshore banking. Yeah, so, so they, they had they, other they revenues. Said, okay, we, we, they were, we're not good. depending on tourism. We're good. We don't have to do nothing outside the box. We just want to close down our country. But we, instead, we didn't have that luxury. We had to figure out a way how we can make some money, what industries, how we can get people here. So we, we had, to, had to come up with the travel portal. We but that's still tourism. That was yeah, a new okay. revenue. No, no, that's what I'm saying. You said how we did during the mm -hmm. pandemic, right? So we, we, we are act, operating in a pandemic. So we had to figure that out, okay. how to get things on, what industries to go, the construction industry. How do we get that come in? So we had to figure all of this out. And this is what we did at that time. You know, we was faced with a crisis, unlike islands like Cayman, who just closed down, nobody in, nobody out, nothing happened, nobody moving. Stay your behind home for the next eight, ten months, and just we'll just go on. We had to figure out on a full eye, and we did much better than many countries. Countries. So, right now, going forward, we will look at ways to come back what is going on now. And like I said, I do have some things, but it will be foolish of me to give. Uh, this government might play my playbook right now. Be very foolish, but it will be revealed to the public. No problem. No problem. So before yeah. you go, um, I, I would be remiss if I left without allowing you to talk about Radio Turks and Caicos. Oh yeah. Yeah, this home cooking. We're getting inundated by the the yeah. great staff that takes such good care of of, of personalities like Cheryl and. Yeah the third best uh, show on Radio Turks and Kings. So the question is, under an um, honorable Oswood administration, yeah. what, kind of, what kind of Radio Turks and Kings would we be looking at? Yes, uh, thank you very much. That is something you read my mind. That is something that I am disappointed also to see inside the budget. And you can go back to the tapes and the recordings uh, when we had the Appropriations Committee that RTC is no longer going to lo no longer exist as we know it today. That is going to be moved under the premier's office. That is not right. You know, even if I'm premier, I don't want the people stationed under my control, my direct control. And you might say, well, it's not under your direct control because you have the managers, the directors. No, it's under my ministry, so it's under my control. This is the people station. It should be uh, left at arm's length from politicians, so it can be free that you can come in. If you want to talk about the government, there's nobody censoring you, uh, nobody censoring your program. Whoever guests you want to come in on your show, there's nobody censoring that. Isn't it on the ministry now anyway? No, but, but um, like being directly under the premier's office is But it's directly different. under ministry before the premier's yes, office. Yes, so what, what difference would that make? If it, it's, 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 it's still, body, I mean, yes, now yes. that's a different thing. Yes, yeah, yes. if you're talking about statutory body, this, that's this a different thing. Get Honorable Asset started on RTC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, <laughs> Yes. Honorable Asad, we're going to invite you back yes. after lunch yes. to come and finish this conversation. Yes. yes. Um, listeners, yes. viewers, we've been talking to the leader of the opposition, the Honorable Edwin Astrid. He's about to go into the House of yes. Assembly. We will hear from him uh, tomorrow, Honorable Astrid. 
what tomorrow, do any, you? anytime you the need response, me. No, your response, your official response. response. Well, I have my response ready, yeah. just in case they try to pull a fast one and say I have to speak <laughs> right away. I have that you're ready. ready. You're ready. But if not, you know, it will be tomorrow. Okay, oh, thank yes. you so much, sir. Yes. Uh, have a great day. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So we just got through talking to the leader of the opposition, the Honorable Edwin Astrid. Um, we heard his passion. We heard his views on RTC and <laughs> new revenue streams. We're going to invite now, um, and he made mention of this, the Appropriations Committee. So how fitting that we should have the chairman of the Appropriations Committee to join us now. Honorable Kyle Dulles. Good morning. Welcome to Grand Turk. Uh, good morning. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> morning, cousin. Knows <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we just heard the leader of the opposition. He said that he, um, you know, he sat in the appropriations committee. He is a member of that committee, and that he saw very little movement besides some in some ministries. Um, can you attest to that? Uh, well, that is just that that's his opinion. Um, I think that we are progressive government. Um, I think what we need to remember is that. When we elect persons, we elect persons to do or to make hard decisions. Now, while we might not be able to see the benefit, while it might be on paper, things take time. So at the end of the day, um, we have to allow the process to be carried out and allow the people to have a better understanding through the budgetary um, session that we're about to enter into to, make that, to come up with their own assumptions. Um, but I think we are trending on the right path, um, but again, as his job as the leader of the opposition, um, this is his mandate. So I, I, I don't want to you know, further comment on that, but I believe that with the emphasis that we're going to put on you know, social welfare and, and enhancing the lives of people, I think it's really up to our people to decipher that for themselves. So you being the head of the Appropriations uh, Committee, having to the, the tedious responsibility of going through the budget before it's laid before the House, listening to it, I found that we had issues with a lot of civil servants being able to speak to the, the minutia of, of their budgets in terms of how money is spent. Um, and I think the leader of opposition even talked about it in terms of coming up with creative ways to generate revenue as well. I mean, what is your opinion of this process and what kind of changes you'd like to see take place, especially in the appropriations process? Um, well, the process is definitely necessary because mm -hmm. there, there, there is a need for transparency and accountability. Mm -hmm. Bar none. Mm -hmm. um, I think when it comes to persons being able to speak to the budget, I think that comes with continuous training mm -hmm. because with our government, we are changing the way that the budgetary process happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there might be some persons who need additional training to be brought up to par as to how to explain the, 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 the current structure of the budget. Even, and I can even tell you with the way the budget was laid out before us this time, mm -hmm. it was completely different. Mm -hmm. But it, but it still allowed us to go through um, and speak to certain issues, speak to um, gaps, um, have them properly addressed. So again, you know, change is something that we have to get accustomed to. It's inevitable. And I think sometimes the hesitation that comes with change, even with the budgetary process, mm. kinds of put, per, it, it put persons um, uh, in a very uncomfortable position. But as a country growing at the rate we are, things will consistently change. We'll always have to up upgrade ourselves and upskill ourselves so that we can stay on top of the, the various uh, processes. Okay, well, I'm not going to talk about the Appropriations Committee. As the, as the MP for Whelan, what can we expect in this budget regarding the management of the, of the dump site? Because I know that 
has been an issue for years now mm -hmm. where it doesn't seem to be being managed properly or, you know, people just getting fed up. Yeah. What, what can you say to the people um, of Turks and Caicos, particularly Wheeling, mm -hmm. what, are, what is in the budget to address um, the long-term issue, not just something temporary, a long-term issue? Uh, well, thank Long -term you. Solution. Thank you, Mr. Seymour, for that question. I was hoping you would ask that when I come on your show. <laughs> mm -hmm. But since um, it, it's such a, it's a very uh, personal question to me that I don't think I would have sufficient time to answer you the way I would like to answer you. But what I can do is say to is say to you and to everyone, and it's and specifically to the to the constituents of Wheeling, is that work is being done as we speak. I think some of the sometimes we look at change as by the clip of a finger things will miraculously happen. Unfortunately, and, and in a real world, there are things that, there are processes that have to be carried out. Um, just to speak to some of them very quickly, the tender has gone out and it has been closed. The evaluation process, that is currently being carried out as we speak. Once this happens, then we will have a process that will mitigate a lot of those immediate impacts to the community. The consultation is currently being done. This in itself will help us to to create that long-term fix. And again, I am not an environmental or solid waste expert, but I am relying keenly on those individuals to produce a comprehensive mechanism for us to create the best fit for Turks and Caicos. Because while the solid waste problem impacts the Wheeling community, we are fixing the Turks and Caicos solid waste problem. Okay? So again, I am very passionate about it i i tend to to you know i take this on from a very personal perspective and again you know this morning there was an issue where persons were saying this the dump was on fire there are so many issues that are happening around solid waste in this country that if we were to just sit by or sit down and, and really assess them we have a lot of work to do what i can say to for my tenure is that i've been progressively on the ground working at these at, at fixing these issues um not taking a backseat um, and even using my capacity as the chairman of the Solid Waste Task Force to see to it that things are being done and that timelines are being met. So while I might not answer your question in, in entirety, Mr. Seymour, I believe that persons can rest assured that Honorable Kyle Knowles is on the job and I will see it through to fruition. Honorable Knowles, just quickly, um, I think Chivago has another question. As chairman of the Appropriations Committee, is that a privilege or a problem? It's a privilege, especially as a new parliamentary, uh, parliamentarian, sorry, coming in. Um, it affords you an opportunity to learn more about government processes. Um, it affords you the opportunity to have a more comprehensive understanding of how government works. And I think that is one of the issues that we face as a growing country. Many of our citizens don't know how government works. Yes, yes, on the political landscape, we say certain things, but it's also our responsibility to show and to teach our people how government works. And people must know that the budget book is a public document. Mm -hmm. Many of our citizens don't know that they can access the document. This is not a big secret. So one of the things for me is as I speak, I want to speak with transparency. I want to speak with clarity. I want to speak with confidence. When I say to my citizens, this is going to happen, this is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I have the budget book to, as, my, as, my, as my document to, 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 to provide the clarity necessary. Mm -hmm. So building off what my uh, temporary colleague, Mr. Seymour, said, I think <laughs> I, I'm, my personal opinion when it comes to budgets, uh, it's easy to tout things like 
high record-setting historical revenues. I keep saying it, historical expenditure and capex. But the true measure of a budget is how it impacts your people, primarily in the most positive way. And I want to build a little bit more off of what Mr. Seymour said. So he, I don't want to limit it just to the solid waste facility. You being the head of the Appropriations Committee would have gone through this budget in depth. Mm -hmm. As a Turks and Caicos Islander, you can you, you say this document is public, the budget book is public, but I have a CPA sitting next to me. And when he starts rattling off revenue, expenditure, EBITDA, CapEx, and all these things, he's speaking a foreign language. And this is how the average <laughs> voter or Texas cake is, I don't know, when they listen to Appropriations Committee, and you talk about the budget, you're basically speaking French to a lot of us, right? Yeah, yeah. So tell me, as a voter, as a Turks and Caicos Islander, as a young person, even if it's just one or two points, how this budget benefits me, improves my life, how am I the primary beneficiary of this new glorious historical budget, 400 million in revenue, 400 and however much in CapEx, even just a few or one that's important to you or in your See, district. Honorable I'm just saying, like, <laughs> tell me how my life is now better by this budget that everyone is bragging about, so to speak. Wow, another loaded question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that some of these questions I'm would have been. Inspired, I'm yes, yes, yes. Seymour, um, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best to answer you in, in the in the short space of time. I believe that you know, social welfare, from that standpoint, if one were to look at how we're going to provide after school care, mm -hmm. um, if persons would look at you know border force, how we were going to incur, how we we're going to work to make sure that our border force is strengthened, mm -hmm. you know, in light of the the current. Um, illegal migrant problem, looking at what housing possibilities are to come about, you know, um, looking at basic infrastructure. I'm keen on basic infrastructure. I said to someone, when you campaign and then you get into the real world of politics, mm -hmm. sometimes priorities change. Mm -hmm. I realized that there was a significant gap of basic infrastructure in my community. So I made sure that city water was mandatory mm -hmm. and that I'm pushing to have city water throughout the, the length and breadth of my constituency. Mm -hmm. um, sufficient lighting. You know, sometimes we have single parents going home very late at night from work. There's no, there's no reason for them to feel unsafe going home. You know, so there are a lot of things that we can get into, but I think those two in particularly, I'm very keen on, on, on social welfare because I do understand that there are persons who are unfortunately aren't, as they, aren't able to do the things that we're able to do. So making sure that whatever's necessary to make their lives better, um, and whatever we can do as a country to, to make sure that it happens, that we see it, to, see it through to fruition. Thank you so very much, Honorable Knowles. Thank you for taking the time to come out and join us this morning. Um, we're looking forward to your contribution to this budget debate for 2023. Thank you so much, sir, and we wish you a really great day. Thank you guys very much. So that was the Honorable um, Kyle Knowles just talking to us. Honorable Knowles, as we know, is chairman of the Appropriations Committee and the MP for Whelan. So, gentlemen, what did you think about all those individuals we spoke to? I mean, they all had, you know, different passions and different things that they sort of gravitated towards that were sort of near and dear to them. Like Honorable Knowles, he said social welfare, you know, after school care, these programs, those are things that are important to him. And, of course, solid waste, not just concentrating in providentialities, but across the Turks and Caicos Islands. Well, well, first, I'd love to highlight the fact that of what we're actually doing here, and I'd love to thank Radio Turks and Caicos, and we received assistance from the premier's office to make this happen. But this is why programs or operations like this are so important, so we can get in-depth 
in the actual budget and ask the difficult questions. Because, again, I genuinely feel like when you're having this high-level conversation about the budget, there's there's no real dialogue for the average Joe. You know, you tell me you you made $400 million. You tell me you're going to spend $417 million. But when I can't, I have no access to buying land or no house or rent yeah. prices are through the roof. So how does it benefit How you? does it benefit Like, yeah. we're, we're literally bragging about a real estate boom. But for a lot of Turks and Caicos Islanders, we're experiencing a real estate crisis. Like, I, I had a conversation with a young man on the show the other day. I think we're on the verge of experiencing bona fide homelessness for the first time in Turks and Caicos Islanders. There are people in their 40s and 50s that don't own a home, and we're living in a community where rental prices are through the roof and they can't afford it. So, Well, do you think the housing project or the proposed housing project will alleviate that issue? Because these are supposed to be houses that are affordable to the average man. Well, I think they have the responsibility to explain that to us, and that's why we have them here today and tell us how this budget is going to tackle that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it will, in the long run, it will, but we need to address it on a short-term basis. First of all, we need, we need capital to build the apartments, to build the housing, because it's, it's not a government initiative. All they're doing, is, as far as I know, is allowing the 100% duty exemption. Mm -hmm. It would have been bad if the government could have started a, a, a project in, in building. Mm -hmm. But it's up to the private sector. That's my understanding. Now, I want to go back to your question. It was very interesting with the leader of the opposition is saying that everything is reducing um, except for social services. But the, but the deputy premier who's presenting the budget today, he's saying everything is increasing. Yeah. So I'd like to see the budget to see, you know, what is really happening with, with, with the budget. Because the leader of the opposition is saying he doesn't see any increases. He's seeing reduction. And, and our producer sent me a note earlier um, saying that some $5.8 billion was budgeted for repatriation. And as we heard the, the Minister of Immigration say, you know, there's still an allowance this year and that, you know, he's making efforts. Yeah, and he's supplementary as early as August. Yeah, so it's an interesting conversation. And I noticed uh, myself, well, I think Mr. Seymour did a good job of asking the question. So you notice that we've had him on the show before. So at this point, it's kind of like almost beating a, a dead horse, asking a question over and over. I think this level of conversation needs to take place at the highest level of the, the executive, you know, from the governor and the premier. And now, you know, we are British overseas territory. So what, besides sitting down in the U.N. and saying we need to accept illegal migrants from all over the world, like we have the capacity and the resources to do it, what is what is the assistance being provided to help us tackle illegal migration? Because we're looking at it from one point of view. Yes, persons are fleeing their country because of harsh living conditions and possible political persecution. But you're always also having a very small country with a small population now having to deal with the backlash of this. But we're only looking at one side of the issue. So where is the UN having the conversation on how to help small countries like ours deal with issues like this? We're spending millions of dollars to repatriation. It, at any point in their discussion did they say, this could break or bankrupt a small country with a small budget. And it, for us, it could go towards so many other things. Absolutely. Education, infrastructure, yeah. health care. Yeah. Um, but, gentlemen, we've just been handed this booklet, and it says... Um, Citizen's Guide to the Budget 2023-2024. We're not sure if it's available for everyone. We'll find that out later and let you know. But um, it has comments in it from the Deputy Premier and the uh, Premier and other members of, of government. And um, just before we sign off and join the House of Assembly, I just wanted to remind... Um, 
people, the chairman and members of the board of the National Honors and Awards, has asked us to remind the public of the National Honors and Awards ceremony this Saturday, May 20th at 10 a.m. at Yellow Man and Sons. And you're all invited to, to join in and um, celebrate our honorees with us. So that's the National Honors and Awards this Saturday, May 20th, 10 a.m. at Yellow Man and Sons here in Grand Turk. Um, I guess we can keep talking okay. until... Well, I mean, I know you're talking about United Nations, right? And I, I agree. I think United Nations looking out for Haiti, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think one way United Nations could look out for Haiti, if we help, if they try to help Haiti, because I think Haiti has a lot of potential. They have a lot of natural resources. Um, otherwise, we're going to continue to have the same problem over and over again. We need to f first determine how to fix the situation in Haiti to prevent people from leaving Haiti. And I think that's the United Nations should be trying to tackle, trying to tackle the, the source of the issues rather than just trying to pass Haiti problem to other countries. And I think that's, that's, what, that's not happening. We agree with you there, Drexel. Um, we're going to join the House of Assembly now for live coverage of the Budget Debate 2023-2024. I'm Sherilyn Foreman and... I'm Javago Jolly. And I'm Drexel Seymour. We'll be back. <laughs>